0: I hope you enjoy it. One of the most baffling things about Jesus is that he showed up as a religious leader. But as you read the Gospels, you see that he just didn't gravitate towards religious people. So you have a religious leader that's not gravitating towards religious people. He was sent from God, but he didn't seem to pursue the people. are considered most godly. In fact, the way we kind of say it around here is this. People who were nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus, and he liked them back. And and the challenge to me personally with that, and the challenge for all of us is this. The church is his body, which means what was true of Jesus personally should be true of us collectively. That's what was true of Jesus personally, that people who were nothing like him liked him, and that people who were were kind of even drawn to him, even though they didn't really understand him, this should be true of us. People should be drawn to believers who are in line and on mission with what Jesus was up to in the world. We should be the most likable people in our community, whether people agree with us or not, or believe with us or not. And so since we started Journey, that's really been our, our mission. Our mission is to make that a reality. Specifically, we want to be in the habit of resisting things that make Christianity and the church so resistible. That corporately, we want to be intentional about resisting the things that make the church and that make Jesus and make Christianity so incredibly resistible. Now, when you open the Gospels, one of the things that kind of jumps out at you is one of the reasons that people who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. and was because of the way that he kind of prioritized people and the way that he categorized people and essentially the way that he viewed the world and the people in the world. Luke tells us this. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. <clears throat> they didn't have to, to send, they didn't have to send out stuff, they didn't have to send out flyers, they didn't have to beg people, feed them pizza, you know, and, and have a band. It's like wherever Jesus went and wherever Jesus stood, everybody just kind of gathered around him. And this is the way that culture used to describe certain people. The tax collectors were so hated and so bad that they had their own category under the sinners. You know, they were like the religious leaders, the Jewish men and women. There were Gentiles. Then there were sinners and tax collectors. Now, you've got two of the worst kinds of people in the world gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, they were there too because they're always perpetually trying to trap Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You almost imagine they're kind of whining. We don't get it, Jesus. You came as a religious leader, but you never invite us. Jesus, you came as a religious leader, but you're always hanging out with non-religious people. All the wrong people are attracted to you. Jesus knew that, that both groups, right? The tax collectors and sinners and the religious people in the community. Both groups described people in a way that didn't reflect the way that their heavenly father did. That they, they thought in terms of good people and bad people, acceptable people and unacceptable people. Ceremonially clean people and unceremonially clean people. Man versus women. Man versus children. And all these were descriptions of people. But unfortunately, in this culture, these descriptions crept to the top. These were the primary ways people viewed the people in their community. And so Jesus decides, I'm going to teach both groups at the same time. How to view the world differently and how to view people differently. And how to view your Heavenly Father differently. How to view your Heavenly Father or how your Heavenly Father views people. He told them three parables, two about lost things and one about a disrespectful son. These are some of the most famous parables that Jesus taught. I'm going to go through them quickly because chances are you've heard them before. So in Luke chapter 15, if you want to fill in the graphs, you can kind of read this for yourself again slower later on. But but here's what he says. We're just going to jump right in. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And in our culture, we're kind of thinking, no. No, that's not what you do. I've got 99 good sheep. I'm okay if I lost one. I'm fine. That's not how, how they thought, though. Everybody in the audience, Pharisees, teachers of the law, scribes, sinners, tax gatherers, this is the, the first time they've ever agreed with each other about anything. They're like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's what you do. If you lose one, you go and you look for one. And when he finds it, Jesus says, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And like, well, you know, maybe not joyfully, but yeah, you know, that's what we do. We, we, we go home with it. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Because when you find something that's been lost, it's valuable. You feel good. You feel better than you did before it was lost. It's a very strange thing. And his point is this, that when we lose something, isn't it true for all of us? When we lose something of value, we focus on what's lost to the neglect of what's unlost. The first year I was married, I lost my wedding ring. I knew or at least I thought I knew rather, that it was in the house, perhaps in the kitchen. So I searched everywhere. I tore the kitchen apart. I tore the bedroom apart. I couldn't find the ring anywhere. When Tanya got home, I had to tell her. Can you imagine if I said, hey, babe, I I lost my wedding. ring. I'm sorry, but at least I have my wallet. Like what good does that do, right? When you lose something of great value, the fact that you've got a bunch of unlost stuff is of no help at all. Jesus goes on. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And this was very offensive to both groups of people, but Jesus is just so good at this, that over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent, and the Pharisees who think that God just thinks about them all the time, they're like, you mean God's more interested in in, in him? You you know, him who, who I wouldn't even have in my home than me who does everything right? And the tax collectors and sinners are thinking, did he just call me a sinner? Before they can leave, Jesus continues, because he's about to let them in on something. He keeps going. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. To which we're like, so what? But this was a big deal. Parents would often kind of give their, their daughters a dowry. And they would have these, these 10 somewhat valuable coins. And sometimes worth very little. They would sew them into basically a headdress. So basically it was like bait. Like, hey, if you get me, you get these. Date me and these come. You know, these come along with me. It's kind of weird, I know. But, but these coins were so valuable to this particular woman that she would not leave home with nine. In other words, you don't just kind of move the nine around and kind of center them up and, and then take off. If you started with the 10, you don't leave home until you have the 10. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And all the women are like, yeah. And, and all the men who have given their daughters these 10 coins are like, yeah, that's exactly what you do. You better not leave without that coin. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin." Suddenly, there's emotion around something. Not because you have it, but because you lost it and then you found it. This is a powerful human emotion. And Jesus is diving deep into this. Why? Because isn't this true, when we lose something of great value, we go to great lengths to find it. And all the women in the crowd are like, yeah, 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 that's right. But, but what is he talking about? Now we know because, you know, we, we read the background, but this is just a group of people listening to Jesus tell more stories. And like, these are so interesting. Does anyone have any idea what he's talking about? And, you know, he, he kind of chose a sheep and then he talked about a coin. But what's the point? Where is he going with all this? And then he tells him the story, this famous story about a father and a rebellious son. A son, he, he had two of them. And the younger son, you may have heard this. The younger son essentially says, these, these are my words. So, you know, the younger son goes to the father and the father's wealthy. And the younger son essentially says to the dad, you know, dad, when you die, I'm going to get half of everything. So let's just, let's just seem like you're dead because you're, not, you're taking a long time to die. So let's pretend like you're dead and just give me my share of the inheritance. Inheritance, And this just it totally impacted Jesus' audience. Dad, let's pretend you're dead. Go ahead and give me my share of the inheritance now. And I'm telling you, even as a father, you hear that. And it's like, I couldn't imagine. What would that say about your son or your daughter. It would tell you the same thing it told the people listening to Jesus' parable, that this son was gone relationally long before he left home. I mean, I mean, this this relationship was broken. Dad, why won't you just die? So let's go ahead and pretend like you die, and then give me half of what's yours anyway. And the father, this is the amazing part of the story, that the, the father wanted to reconnect with the son so much. He wanted to reconnect with relationally so much. He knew that the relationship was broken, right? The conversation it's sort of the pinnacle of a bunch of other conversations that probably went on in the normal, uh, the normalcy of the home. The son seems so distant. The son would never take his earbuds out. The son never participated painted in dinner. The son is gone. He's physically here, but he's gone. His body might be here, but the relationship is destroyed. So the father gives his son his inheritance. This packs him up and sends him off. And when he does this, the audience is just, just completely gasped by this. How could that be? For that culture, they summed up that father as a fool. Right? This is when you need to go to, to Leviticus, and you find that hidden verse that says, stone the rebellious children, because this kid deserves to be stoned. And in this story, Jesus said, the father said, okay, let's pretend like I'm dead. I'll liquidate half of my estate, and you can have you know, half of your stuff now. I'm telling you, it was like it was silent in Jesus' audience, because the point was pretty clear. Here's a dad who's willing to lose him physically, to lose him spatially, to lose him, to potentially win him back. And you know the story, the son liquidates everything. He packs up, he hugs his dad and mom awkwardly. And Probably the older brother is nowhere to be found. Then he takes off and he goes to a distant country. We don't know where, he just went somewhere cool. He got a condo and a car and you know, a cat. He's just like living the life. Time goes by and time goes by and eventually you know the story. In fact, some of you, th- this is your story, right? This is This is your story of, of hope. Right, You played the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter or the prodigal granddaughter. Eventually, the son is overwhelmed. Eventually, the son is overwhelmed by the realization that he is disconnected. Eventually, not initially, the son in the story is overwhelmed by the realization that he's lost. And he's missing home and wondering if home is missing him. He's missing home and he's wondering, I, I, wonder, I wonder if home is missing me. But I don't think home is missing me. Not after the way I left. If I go back, I can't go back as a son. If I go back, maybe my dad will hire me back as a servant because he treats his servants better than I'm being treated right now. Because he'd gone through all the money, he shamed his father. I mean, just imagine this. All the wealth that his father took, a lifetime to, to accumulate. This son had spent it within a few weeks, within a few months, or maybe even years. He's missing home, but he's wondering if home is missing him. And in Jesus' audience sit people like us. that are, They would say, I think I'm far from God. And I would not like to be far from God anymore, but I, I don't know if God misses me. I don't know if there's a place for me. I, I don't know that I'll ever measure up. I meet people who are, who are close to God and they kind of got something going on and I don't have it. I'm missing that. But is that something for me? And, and if you'd surveyed the, the people in Jesus' audience, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they would all say, God doesn't miss them. He's disgusted by them. And if you were to ask them, they'd say, God's not missing us. He's probably disgusted by us. And you know how the story goes. So, the son takes a chance. He he got up and he went to his father. And what happens next in the parable blows the minds of all the categories of Jesus' audience. They didn't see people the way that Jesus saw people. They didn't have those categories. They they didn't share his categories. This is so powerful. Maybe this is, is emotional for you. Maybe this next statement is why you're watching right now. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with You fill in the bank. It all depends on how you see people, right? Disgust and embarrassment. But long while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. was filled with compassion. And Jesus' audience gasped again. Compassion? Have you already forgotten what's happened in your own story, Jesus? No father would feel compassion toward a son who had done something like that. To which Jesus would have said, you're exactly right. If the father in the story saw people the way that you saw people, he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him. But wait, Jesus, hold on, I I have a question. The father sees the son filled with compassion, runs to the son, throws his arms around him. But but Jesus, why? When the son was leaving, why, when the the son had his back to his father, did the father not kind of run from from that distance and throw his arms around his son then? Why does he have to let his son go? Why, Why doesn't he chase him down and throw his arms around him and say, stay, stay? But now the son's coming back. And he's the same son, and it's the same distance, and it's the same two people. But now he's running toward the son to throw his arms around him and bring him back. Why, Jesus? Like, What's the difference? And this is Jesus' point. This impacts all of us, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, or you're moving one way or the other, because Jesus' point was that the father desired a relationship. The father desired a connection. The father desired a relationship, not a GPS cord. It was not about knowing where the son was. Like, hey, where's my son? You know, that's not it. It's not spatially it's relationally that was the, the father wanted more than anything else in the world was to be in, in, in a relationship with that son and when the father saw the son when the father saw them from a distance he ran in his direction and then he totally freaked everybody out in his audience and he kissed him and this freaked him out because if you remember the story when the son ran out of money he went to work for a farmer who took care of pigs. And these are Jewish people, right? The story—the story was like the worst-case scenario. He hugs this dirty, ceremonially unclean son, and he kisses him. And the audience gasped again. And you know why they gasped? Because they didn't understand how Jesus viewed people. In their minds, it was clean or dirty, acceptable or unacceptable, respectful or disrespectful. And the son failed on all of those accounts. But Jesus didn't see people that way. He still doesn't see people that way. Don't miss this. If we are his body, we must not see people that way. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He's memorized this little scripture. He had a long time on this journey. He's like, you know, when I get there, I'm not going to ask to be a son. I'm going to ask to be a servant. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Or in other words, Dad, I've been lost on purpose. And this, this wasn't an accident. This, was a, this wasn't a mistake. I have sinned and I did all of this on purpose. And the dad's like, I know, I knew but you're back on purpose, so let's move ahead. But the father says to the, to the servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He's reestablished as a son to me, his father. Bring the fattened calf that we've been saving up for a party. We're about to have a party, guys. Kill it, and let's have a feast to celebrate. And now Jesus let, lets us in on, on how he sees people. This is how he sees you, and it's how he sees me. And and there's a lot of things that we can use to describe us, that you can use to describe me. But this is how your Savior sees the people of the world. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. Not physically. It's just a figure of speech. Let me be specific. He was lost, and now he's found. He wasn't lost to me spatially. I knew where he was. You know, I heard the stories. I know what he did. and, And I don't want to hear any more stories about my son. But he was dead to me. And now he's alive to me. Now he's found to me. We were disconnected and now we're connected. And that means we're going to throw a party. This is how our Savior sees everybody in, the, in our neighborhood. This is how he sees everybody in our work and everybody at our middle school and everybody at our high school. Everybody in first period and everybody in our Algebra 2 class. Everybody on the third floor or the first floor. Every single person you come eye to eyeball with, Jesus would have said, Hey, hey, there are a lot of ways that people could have described you and many descriptions would be true. But let me tell you how I view the world. There are people who are connected to their father and there are people who are disconnected from their father. And my primary concern is not the connected. I know where they are and I'm so grateful that they're connected. My primary concern, my passion, the thing that brought me here to earth was to reconnect the disconnected to their father in heaven. See, this answers the question. Then. Why in the world would Jesus, a religious leader, spend so much time with irreligious people, disconnected people, because they were disconnected people? The reason Jesus was drawn to people who were far from God is because they were far from God. And we are his body. And what was true of him, especially this part, should be true of us. Now, here's why I want to talk to you about this today. If you grew up in a church, or if you know, you're know you new to church, the gravitational pull of every church is always towards the church. It's always toward the connected. It's always toward the people just like us. That's just how we gravitate. The gravitational pull is always toward the 99, not the one. And so what that means, beginning with me, and I'm not pointing fingers because it's beginning with me. We all individually and collectively run the risk of not seeing people the way Jesus does and the way Jesus wants us to. Before long, we see good people and bad people, conservatives and liberals, young people and old people, mask wearing people and not mask wearing people, my people and not my people, my kids' friends, you know, not my friends. Before long, we just adopt all the cultural norms. Next thing you know, we're talking about and viewing the world just like everybody else. And your father in heaven says, Hey guys, look up here. That's not how I see the world. That's not how I divide the world because the way you see people and describe people eventually gets down to your emotions. And you'll, you'll be mean to people who don't agree with you. And you'll say bad things about people who don't see the world the way you see the world. And isn't that exactly what we're doing? I mean, in the news, on social media, in our conversations, the bumper stickers on your car, and God forbid, even in church. And your Father in Heaven says, when you've done that, you've joined with the ranks of the Pharisees. You've joined the ranks of the people that think, because I'm connected and because God is happy with me, Maybe someday everybody else can catch up to me. And your father in heaven did not send his son into the world to collect all the connected people so they could have a big kind of happy collection party. He said, you know what my concern is? My concern is the disconnected people. My biggest concern for us, for this church, is that we would drift, that we would become a church who who is so content with who's here that we would forget the eyes of the father on the road. They're on the people who are not connected. That we would lose our concern for the disconnected people. Not the down and out people. See, see those are those are some, some more categories. Not the down and out, the disconnected. The thing that lights up the heart of God is not us. It's people reconnecting with their father in heaven. And I don't want us to drift away from that. Are we drifting? I, I, I don't know. But we dare not. Our mission is to create a church Unchurched people love to attend. Whether you agree with us or not, or whether you believe with us or not. In fact, you can belong here before you believe with us. Let's continue to show respect for the views and values of people who don't share our views and values. Did you know that the reason people like to be with Jesus, who are nothing like Jesus, they didn't share his view of the world. And they liked him anyway. And all of us have friends that we don't align with in terms of views and values. But we like them. We can be like that. That's what we're called to be. Let's continue to give people permission to explore faith before they actually believe, to belong here before they actually believe, to take baby steps of following before they decide, I want to be a fully engaged follower of Jesus. Let's keep doing that. Let's keep creating safe places, starting points, where people can ask the difficult questions. And let's let people just attend as long as they want to. And hopefully something about being with you and something about... You know, their kids, being with your kids, will bring them to a place where they would be open to the fact that there's a God in heaven who has invited you to address Him as Heavenly Father. And He loves you so much, He demonstrated it by sending His only Son into the world, that whoever would believe in Him would not die, would experience life everlasting. And let's continue as, as you've done so well to have a great reputation in the community to where people w- w- would look at our church and say, I don't buy what they believe, but I'm glad they're here. I, I don't believe all that they believe, but I'm so glad that Christians are in my community. We would be a poorer community without that church, even though we don't necessarily agree with everything they teach. Last thing, have you ever lost something that was, that was a great value to you and nobody was looking for it but you? Have you ever lost something great? And you say, you know, hey, kids, honey, my friends, oh, no, I lost it. And you're frantic, and you announce it. I've lost my and Nobody cares. Let's not be that church. Let's not be those people. Let's not be those church people. Let's take our cue from the Father in the parable. Let's make it a habit of our lives not to focus on the connected, but like that Father, to keep our eyes on the road. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Lord, I I thank you for these incredible parables from Jesus. God, three incredible stories that, that all point to the same point. God, that you were here for the lost. That you were here for the disconnected. God, that you were here for the people that needed you. I pray that that would be our heart as this church. God, that we would never be people who just keep our eyes on us, on the connected, God, on those we already know and already do life with. God, that we would always keep our eyes open, that we would always keep our eyes on the road. Give us the courage to do that because it's a little uncomfortable sometimes. But God, in that, we fulfill the mission of Jesus to connect the disconnected to their Father in heaven. Give us the wisdom to see that and the courage to do it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Journey Church, can you believe it? We are here next week. I will see you in person. If you're still going to socially distance and watch messages online, we are going to live stream next week at 1030. Make sure you don't miss it. You can find the YouTube link on our page. Head out there. Be a part of the chat. Be a part of what's going on. We are so excited to be able to see you again and to be back to in-person gatherings. Be safe. Be healthy. Be here next week in person. I love you. There's nothing you can do about it. See you next week.